All right, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1. Good morning, everybody online. Hope you're doing well, safe in your warm homes. Uh, make sure you got something to take notes out with here in church, here, on, here in your house, wherever you are. Open up to Genesis chapter 1, if I didn't say that already. Whew. Welcome back to Biblical Formation, everybody. I hope you uh, had a good, good first week last week. I'm excited about these weeks together. We are in section one of Biblical Formation, the universe, taking these 12 weeks to uh, come to the Word of God and say, okay, Lord, teach us how to repent from a self-centered worldview and teach us how to be reformed from a self-centered faith. I know I, know I need that. We're exploring that process together. Last week, we started with heaven and earth. Um, if you, was anybody here for heaven and earth or listen to heaven and earth? I, I learned some things last week from the Bible. I learned the Bible is way crazier than I think it is. <laughs> it's fun hearing, it's been fun hearing about what God's doing, stirring in friendships and conversations, life groups, all sorts of cool stuff um, as we're going into the Bible together. We're having a lot of fun with the Honest Conversations with my pastor podcast. I don't know if anybody's caught that, but it's been really fun, and I encourage you to be listening to that. And Please join in. Last week we had to film it on Sunday, so we missed most of the questions that you guys sent in during the week. But we got a few. It's really fun and just better when you guys send in your questions. So make sure you're sending those in this week, um, either on social media or email us or whatever. It's going to be fun. Karis Frigis uh, hosting this week, so she'll be on it. I uh, got a kind of a cool story for us as we start that uh, probably doesn't matter to your life, but I'm going to tell you because I got the microphone. So <laughs> last week we, we talked about uh, heavens and earth, obviously out of Genesis chapter one, and Heather told me this week that for, for school, my six-year-old daughter, she had to, uh, Rose, she had to copy Genesis 1-1 and then I guess draw a picture, I didn't even run this by you again, but run a, r- draw a picture of heaven or heaven and earth or something. Anyway, so Heather was like, oh, that's great. Why don't you ask God what heaven looks like? And so she kind of walked away and Rose starts coloring and everything. She's like, Rose, you're supposed to ask God for what, like, what heaven looks like and then you can draw it. She's like, I already did ask him. It's like, oh, okay, well, what did he, what'd he say? <laughs> she said, he said there's golden streets and golden birds. <laughs> And so she got out her Bible, turned to Revelation, you know, some of what we talked last week, like, yep, golden birds right there. These funky looking angels and beasts with the head of an eagle. Wow. So my, my, my daughter's a prophet, so that's encouraging. <laughs> so I'm encouraged by that. <laughs> All right, Genesis 1. Let's stand as we read the word of God together this morning. Genesis chapter 1. I'm already telling you, I'm going to have problems right now. My little baby is in the front row staring me down, and it's just so... <laughs> She's locked on. Hi, sweetie. She's a cutie head. All right, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. We are coming to the Bible in these weeks to have the Bible, um, or to have God through the Bible, through his word, shape our worldview, and shape our faith. We have briefly covered in the last few weeks the beginning. 
We have talked about the heavens last week, but what about this God of Genesis 1? We've talked about the beginning and the heavens, but what about this God? In the beginning, God. Who is, who is this God that we are being introduced to as we read the Bible? So for this week, biblical formation, section one, the universe, part two, you can write this at the top of your notes, part two, who is God? Who is God? When we read word number five in the Bible, in the beginning God created, our 2021 Western minds immediately subconsciously start thinking chemistry, right? Biology, science. But the mind of the ancient Near East writer and reader would have immediately subconsciously not started thinking chemistry, but rather character. These are two very different things, chemistry and character. Both great things, both very important things, but not both the point of Genesis chapter 1. Five words into the Bible, we need to make sure that we are reading the Bible for what it is and not reading it for what it isn't. The main message of Genesis 1-1 is the character of God not the chemistry of the universe. The main message is the character of God, not the chemistry of the universe. See, the Bible that we are reading together is not supposed to be a chemistry textbook that explains the scientific makeup of the physical world that we live in. This is the God of the heavens and the earth revealing himself to all of humanity. That's what the Bible is. And as we begin reading it, we aren't just looking for physical information. We are looking for God revelation. That's why we're coming to this book. That's what we're looking for in word number five of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. I don't just want to find out about how some molecules fit together. I'm, I'm looking to understand who is God? Who is God? I can't answer that question. I wasn't before him in the beginning. I can't answer the question for you, who is God? I can only tell you his answer to that question. Because God wants you to ask that really good question, and God wants to give you really good answers to that really good question. So I'm just going to let him do it for himself. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is coming to God and letting God answer for himself, who are you? God isn't just the God of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. We talked last week about the theological gauntlet that was in the beginning, God. We talked last week. And, and again, this is another one right here, this word. God is not just the God of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of the heavens of the earth. He's not just the current God of the heavens and the earth who took out the last God because he got bigger and stronger and he's just holding on, hoping another stronger God doesn't come along. No, 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 no. He, he's, he's the creator of the whole thing, not just the current God of the whole thing. He's not, he's not fighting the devil, struggling to stay on top of the hill. He isn't waiting for humans to just recognize and properly lift him up to his rightful place on the throne. No, no, no. He is in the beginning, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the spirit hovering over the face of the waters when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the deep. He is the one who speaks, let there be light, and then there is light. He is the one who gave day the name day and night 
the name night. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who is God? Who is God? As you read Genesis 1, 1 through 5, I want to encourage you, don't, don't get distracted by how the earth could be formless and void, and yet there could be these deep waters. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little funky about that one. It's like, I thought we were formless and void, but apparently it's full of deep water. But I'm thinking chemistry, that character there. How, how, how is there water when there's nothing? It's a good question, but maybe not the right question. See, before, before this statement is an introduction to the chemistry of our planet, it's an introduction to the character of our God. Who is God? He is the creator. He is the creator. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This phrase is not supposed to be a physical description of planet Earth, the third one from the sun, you know, the one we live on? It's round, obviously, and it's got a moon that circles it and it circles the sun. It, it, we're, not, we're, not talking about, we're not talking about that. We're not talking physical descriptions of all of these things. This, this, is, this is a statement that is trying to depict something to us. It's, it's trying to explain something that can't be explained. When you read that, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God is trying to tell you something about him. And he's trying to depict something that you can't even understand. He's trying to depict the, the chaos and the disorder that is nothingness. Like think about it, you know? Like you know when you try to think about eternity and about two seconds in you're like, yeah, I'm not, forget that. I'm not even gonna think about that. <laughs> it's the same thing with nothing. can't really, what do you say about nothing? How do you describe nothing? Well, this is, this is part of how God's trying to describe nothing, the chaos, the disorder, the formless void, the, the darkness, the vast wilderness of deep unknown waters. Nothing is like that. That's what, it, that's what it's like. That's what nothingness is like. These are, these are all ancient, ancient words and descriptions that, that go along with so many other writings of the time that are trying to describe something. It's trying to capture something. It's not just trying to tell you about the physical terrain of a place on planet Earth. These words are trying to capture and, and trying to communicate to you something not just physical but, but, but mental and spiritual and emotional, the barrenness and emptiness of nothing. You can't physically, you know, you can't physically imagine nothingness, but somehow you know a little bit of what it feels like. You, you've tasted it in, in your low moments. 
You can't describe it, you can't pinpoint it, and you can't even really create nothingness, but somehow you know, you know what he's talking about. You, you know what this nothingness feels like. I know that you can't, you can't imagine nothingness, but somehow we're all familiar enough with nothingness to be terrified of it. Terrified of the formless void and endless dark deep of emotional, mental, spiritual nothing. Before you ever saw or felt the terror of whatever that nothingness would really be like, creator God was in it. He was in the nothingness hovering over those waters. God's trying to tell you something about him. The thing that you are most terrified of and cannot explain, God before you in the beginning, before it even was nothing, God was in it. And God was hovering over the emptiness, hovering over the waters. And it is in the terror of untamable nothingness that God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light. It's one thing to be there. It's another thing to speak. It's a whole different ballgame for it to actually happen. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that that light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day. And the darkness he called night. Who is God? <laughs> I can't tell you who God is, but this is, this is who God is. This is who God is. Who is God? He is, he is three, but he is one. <laughs> one, one thing I love about Genesis 1 is that most of the main major themes of the Bible are introduced to us right here. And, and I'm hoping that as we do this together, we don't just talk about a few verses in Genesis, but what, what God does here in Genesis 1 is he sets some framework and he starts giving you some landmarks and some things that you should be looking for all along the way. Some things about him that he's gonna, he, he, he tells you about who he is in the beginning and then the whole rest of the book, he's explaining some of those things that he said at the beginning. He's setting some of the, trajectories of things right here in the beginning because that's just who he is. He's the God of the beginning. He, he doesn't change all the way throughout the Bible. He's the same. He's the same in the beginning and in the end. That's gonna help somebody who's been telling you there's two different gods in the two different parts of the Bible, you know, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. <laughs> no, 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 no. He, he, he was before the Old Testament. And he tells, we, we see him right here, this, this trinity. Speaking of eternity and nothingness, the trinity will blow your mind too. <laughs> no idea what it is, and yet at the same time, he makes it so clear. I don't know how it works, but it's so obvious. He, he's just right here. He, he, is, he is one God. He is, in the beginning, God, the one creator. But, but yet he is three. We, we, have, we have the will of the Father in the beginning, and he's Speaks the word, who is the Son, carried on the breath, who is the Spirit. Let there be light. 
and there was light. The Trinity creating all things and everything in the beginning. What you're going to see as you read the Bible is this, this cooperation and interaction of God with himself. Where you have God's will being manifest in the word of this, who is the Son. Empowered by the breath who is the Spirit. How, how can you speak a word without empowering it with a breath? And how can you speak a word without a will for that word to happen? Who is God? <laughs> who, who is God? And he said, let there be light. And there was light. If you read a few verses more in Genesis 1, you'll see that when he says in, what verse are we in here? Verse 3, let there be light and there was light. He's not saying let there be sun and there was sun. That happens on day four. That's not till verse 14. But see now, this is where the Bible contradicts itself all the time, why you can't trust it. You know, this is why we just, it's just, doesn't even make any sense. We get 14 verses in and we all got all kinds of contradictions and all this kind of stuff. But I, maybe it actually makes a little bit of sense here. He didn't say let there be sun and there was sun. That's, that's what I'm projecting into the Bible. It didn't say that. It doesn't say that in verse 3 and verse 14. It says two completely different things. In verse 3, it says, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 14, he talks about lights in the sky, talking about the sun and the moon and all this kind of stuff. What he said, what the Bible says, is let there be light, and there was light. John 1, 1 through 5 says, in the beginning. Does this sound familiar? I'm wondering if maybe there's a parallel here that we should pick up between John chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis 1, verse 1. Maybe God's trying to expand a little bit, help us understand a little bit more what was going on in Genesis 1 here in John 1. I love when the Bible does this. See these cues? As you read your Bible, you're going to start seeing some of this stuff. You're going to see some of these cues, some of these phrases, some of these things that God's trying to tie some things together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word. Okay, wow, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is way bigger than the sunshine and the moon <laughs> in Genesis 1 verse 3. I, I, I don't have it all exactly figured out. I want to be very transparent. I don't have all of this worked out. I'm just trying to pick up a few things like you from what does the Bible say here. But maybe, maybe Genesis 1 verse 3 isn't just about physical light. Maybe God's trying to tell us who he is. Maybe this isn't just about the makeup of the universe. Maybe this is about his character. Maybe he's trying to tell us something in Genesis 1 verse 3 that when he said, let there be light, when he was in the beginning before anything, when he was in the formless void that you're so scared of, when he was hovering over the waters that you know you could never do anything about, and he spoke and he said, let there be light, maybe he was telling us in him is life. 
And the life is the light of men. He is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the light in the beginning. He is the light in the beginning, piercing and overcoming darkness. This is who your God is. This is the whole story that you're going to see in the Bible. The formless void of the earth. The deep, dark depths of nothingness. And God hovering in the midst of it all himself being the light that pierces the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Who is God? Who is God? Maybe this, is, maybe this is some of what he means when he says that he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. Maybe, maybe this is some of what he means when it says that he's the firstborn of all creation. Maybe this is a little bit of what it means when it says that he was slain before the foundations of the earth. And the firstborn from the dead. I'm not exactly sure what all this means, but I think it means that. Who is God? Who is God? He is, he is the one before all things. He is the one holding all things together. He is the dawn that brings new mercies every day. He is the spirit present in the night when there is nothing to hold on to. In, in a moment of, of revelation, David wrote this in Psalm 139 when he was trying to figure out who is God. And he said, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If, if I ascend to heaven... You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will hold. Can you, can you feel God trying to tell you who he is? Wandering in the great swells of the dark ocean. Who is God? He is the right hand who reaches down to hold you. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Because he is the light. And that light is the life of all of it. When Job, in his struggle, started questioning God, I'm thankful that Job had to sit through this for our sake. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but in Job 38, 
Job's been going through some hard times, and he comes not just questioning God, but accusing God. And God's good with you asking who he is, but he doesn't respond quite so gently to accusation. And uh, Job and his struggle slips from questions to accusations, and God uses it as an opportunity to give himself a little bit of an introduction. And he goes on for four chapters straight, so I'm only going to read you one. And we're just going to get a brief, just a little bit. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? (laughs) Oh, man. God's like, it was real smart in here until you started talking. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, here we go. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Joe, why don't you tell me this? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. By all means. Where is the way? to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness? Do you hear Genesis 1? You want to tell me where? Because I was actually there, and I'm the one who spoke it, and then I'm the one who told light where to go and night where to go. But you want to tell me where it should go? (laughs) Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know For you were born then, and the numbers of your days are great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble on January 31st, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where light is distributed and where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain And a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? 
For whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become like hard stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth Maseroth in the season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? Who is God? Who is, who is God? This is God. This is who God is. This is who God is. And a self-centered worldview tells you that you don't even need him. And a self-centered faith tells you you need him to be like you. Okay, this just got a little intense. I'm not trying to be intense, I promise. I'm really not. I'm only trying to let the word of God bring lies into the light so that we can be set free by the truth. That's it. I'm, I'm, that's all I'm going for here. I'm only trying to help us read the word of God so that we can know him the way he wants us to know him. I promise all I'm, all I'm trying to do is point into the dark corners of our hearts and our minds and our lives and kind of just pull out some of those demons and idols that have taken up residence and gotten really comfortable. And all I want to do is pull them out so that the light can be shined on them so that we can send those demons back into whatever hell they came out of and we can set fire to those idols. That's all I'm trying to do, I promise. All I'm trying to do is do that so that along with the great cloud of witnesses surrounding us in the heavens, we may also lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us and fix our eyes looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the creator of the heavens and the earth who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. I'm not trying to be intense. That is all I'm trying to do. That is all I'm trying to do. That's it. We don't need to get crazy. I just want to do that. I want you to write this down. A self-centered worldview tells you that you don't need God. A self-centered worldview tells you that you don't need God. Your worldview has to center on something. And if all of this is true, then it's pretty clear how foolish it would be for you or for anyone else to be at the center of your world. Amen. Your deepest need is not to know yourself. Your deepest need is to know your God. Yourself can't hover over the face of the deep. Yourself can't speak authoritatively. Let there be light and then there is light. Yourself cannot pierce the darkness you're trying to get out of. This is why things like reading the Bible more than you read the news, spending more time in prayer than you do on social media are really good things. 
It's not because God has his clipboard out and he's waiting and tracking how many minutes you spend to see if you're a good Christian and if it all balances out. That's not, that's not why it's a good thing. It's a good thing because God is hovering over the face of the chaos that you are reading about and that you are scrolling through. He is hovering and he is ready to speak. He is ready to speak and reveal himself to you. He is ready to bring light to the situation. And that doesn't just mean something cheap like make it easy. It means he wants to enter in and pierce it. That's what God wants to do. Repenting from a self-centered worldview can sound kind of intimidating, but I think we can sum it up in three simple words that I'd like for you to write down in church this morning. I need God. (laughs) You don't need God. Yes, I do. Step one. Reformation from a self-centered faith can honestly, I think, be a little bit more challenging. One of the biggest lies that you might not even know that you believe is the lie that you're opinion about God has any bearing on who he actually is. There is nothing that anyone does or does not believe about God that has any impact on who God actually really is. He's in the beginning. See, as you come to learn about God, what you need to know about him is that whoever he is, He's always been who he will always be before you ever were anything. God created everything and God created you. You do not create God. See, we read our Bibles. We read our Bibles to hear from God about who he is. And then we decide if we want to submit to that or not. Do you want to follow him or not? That's why we read our Bibles. That's how it goes. We do not read our Bibles so that we can find verses that affirm everything we already think or find verses that we can use to justify to ourselves why God is exactly how we want him to be. We do not read the Bible so that we can figure out phrases to like string together so we can order God around like we found Aladdin's lamp. That is not why we read the Bible. A self-centered worldview tells you you don't need God. A self-centered faith tells you you need God to be like you. There There is this pendulum swing that happens and I... I would imagine that you you feel it. You've probably ridden it a few times. You're definitely watching it happen in the world that you live in, and I'm sure in people's lives that you are close with. There is this pendulum swing that happens, and where it goes is we start, all of us over here, you know, lost, lost as Moses in the wilderness, right? And it's like, okay, we're all lost, and we've got this worldview. We're like, you know what? I'm really awesome. I don't need God. I'm smart. I'm modern. I'm American. I got it all going on. I don't need God. And then we realize that's dumb and we come up with some stuff or we come up against some stuff we can't fix. We find ourselves in the deep that we can't swim in. And we realize, and then we hear the gospel. And we realize, you know what? I'm not that great, but God's really good. He is the one who pierces the darkness with himself. And so we swing and we go from, I don't need God to like, 
I need God. I really, I need God. And then so we, we need him and we find him. But then the postmodern cultural current we're in continues to pull us this way. And so we start over here. I don't need God. And then we're like, oh my gosh, no, no, I really need God. And then culture's like, ooh, you actually need God to look like you. It's not that you don't need him. You just need him to be like you. That's what a postmodern self-centered faith is trying to get you to understand. The most common word that, that I hear or have a grasp on for kind of that captures this self-centered faith that we are all encountering in the lives that we're living in and in people's lives that we are probably walking with and probably in ourselves plenty of times is this word that you've probably heard, deconstruction. Deconstruction. There's probably a lot of words for it, a lot of labels for it, but the way it works, however, whatever you call it, I want to be really clear about the way it works so that you can have eyes for it and you can know I shouldn't go with that. The way it works is that, I'll just put it in first person. The way deconstruction works is that I put myself in being in the seat of being in the beginning. And so then that's, therefore, I'm the one who decides what's good or not, which means um, now I'm going to start judging God and the Bible, kind of like piece by piece, one piece at a time, and see if God is good or not. But the lens that I'm looking through is my own personal opinions, emotions, experiences, and preferences. So that's what deconstruction is. I'm gonna sit on the seat of being in the beginning and instead of God judging me, now I'm gonna judge God because I know what's good and so we're gonna see if God's good or not. And the metrics are my own personal opinions, emotions, experiences, and preferences. I've heard it said that the cornerstone of all theology is that God is good. Deconstruction tries to deconstruct this foundation. It tries to deconstruct this foundation by assuming that I am good. And so therefore, my role is to examine God, and then we'll make an assessment about if he's good or not. So here's the results. Here's, here's where this goes, so that you can just understand where the road leads. The result of deconstruction like this, um, it's, I know this is a strong word, but it is always that the word of God or the Bible is not the word of God because there's stuff in there that I don't think is loving. Usually then there is distance from and criticizing of the church and all of its leaders. And then, we'll keep it first person, then I either don't believe in God anymore or the God I believe in looks and sounds remarkably similar to me. I, I want you to pay really close attention to that because, um, like, I, I don't know if I've ever even said stuff like this strong, you know, from the stage as far as, like, this is like a heresy of our day that is swamping people, and it sounds good on the front end, but I want to show you the whole road and where it leads so that you know where it's headed and the first step is, let me decide. The first step is, I'm good, not God. I'm in the beginning. So there, there's no concept of good without God. There, there is no reference for good without God. There is no hope for good without God. No one and no thing can hover over the face of the waters but God. 
No one can pierce the darkness with an authoritative voice that brings light, order, and freedom, and life but God. No one can see anything and then make a judgment about that thing being good or not good but God. God saw the light and it was good. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good before any of us were ever even around. The more central Jesus is to your faith, the stronger your faith will be because Jesus is very strong. (laughs) The more central you are to your faith, the weaker your faith will be because you are very weak. The more central Jesus is to your faith, the stronger your faith will be because Jesus is very strong. The more central you are to your faith, the weaker your faith will be because you are very weak. Who is God? That's the right question. And if you want the answer, turn aside to his word. Humble yourself and seek his face. And let him tell you who he is. I want you to stand as we close this morning. Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We don't need intellect to know God. We don't need our own righteousness to know God. We need a pure heart. If we want to know the answer to the question, who is God? What we need to do is we need to humble ourselves before him and we need to pray like the scriptures tell us. And I want to end our time with these couple of verses. The first one out of Psalm 51.10. This is my prayer for us as we close and we engage this question. Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart. Creator God. I can't even pierce the darkness of my own heart. I need the creator to create in me a pure heart. And I need you to renew a right spirit in me. Do you hear the turning aside? (laughs) Back to Psalm 139, like we read earlier, it ends like this. David, he... We read his response to a revelation of seeing God for who he is and he just kind of starts reading Genesis 1 apparently and saying, you're everywhere. That's, I don't know who you are exactly, but I know for one, you're everywhere. And he ends like this, after he's recounted thing after thing that he can think of, like you, you formed me, you knit me together. You're like, he just goes on and on and he ends, search me, oh God, and know my heart. I can't even know my own heart. In fact, the Bible says it's deceitful above everything else. So God, I need you to create in me a pure heart. And then I need you to search me and know my heart. And I need you to try me and try my thoughts. I'm getting off the judgment seat. I am not the one who sits in the tribunal of the heavens. Try me, oh God. Try my thoughts. 
and see if there be any grievous way in me and then lead me in the path everlasting. I am not in the beginning. I am not the creator. I am not good. So I'm gonna have our prayer team come forward and if you need prayer for anything in your life, I wouldn't want you to leave church without getting it. But I'm gonna pray these verses over us as we worship and wrap up our time together. Create in us, O Lord, a pure heart and renew a right spirit within us. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.